Well, according to the experts on deathclock.com, I've got 11 years left. I'm going to pack her in in 2033. I thought, wow, that's not very long. And then I looked at the exact date and I realized it's our wedding anniversary. I thought, I know what happened. I forgot yet again our wedding anniversary. Gina, Gina finally had. Right, let, me, let me just confess something to you. I just, I've been telling people this, but I just feel so terrible. This summer is our 40th wedding anniversary, and I forgot. Yeah. So you can see why I could predict that that could possibly be why death not come done it. She has written into them and said, this boy hasn't had too many chances. Uh, the truth is, actually, what happened is, is I was doing okay in those calculations until I put in my BMI, my what the, body mass index. And once I came back as obese, I realized you're going to die, boy, unless something changed. I mean, you see, that's part of the good news, isn't it, though, is that we can turn some of these things around, right? I mean, if I, if I change my diet, if I get some more exercise instead of watching Netflix and all of these kind of things, I, I can change things around a little bit. I can get things turned around and turned about. And I think the passage that we're going to look at today, the, the aspect of Hesed that we're going to be resting our way through, is we're going to look at a psalm that deals with life and death, and the very reality of our death, but how we can turn that around, how we can make things different, how God's hesed can really make the difference. And so here's my little statement that I want us to remember. It comes out of this psalm here. It's this, it's a turned around God makes for a turned around life, okay? A turned around or a repentant God makes for a repentant or a turned around life. That's what we're going to look at. That's what this psalm is going to be. It's a familiar psalm. It's a psalm, the only psalm that Moses, it's a Moses psalm. That's what it says at the beginning of the, of the chapter. It wasn't really in the inspired word, but very, 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 very early in the history of, of Israel and so on, it was assigned uh, to Moses. So this is a psalm of Moses, and it's Psalm 90. Okay, so if you want to look in your devices, on your websites, on Bibles, wherever it is, you have Psalm 90. Now, you've got an assignment as we do this psalm, and it's this. I want you to see if you can, it's pretty easy, you should be able to get it. I want you to be able to notice and see if you can find the two problems that we face and the turnaround point. The two problems that we face and the turnaround point. Bonus points. Bonus points for those of you who can identify the hymn, the old hymn, that put a new bridge in it, now it's made a little bit different. If you can identify the hymn that is actually this psalm that we sing, then you get, a, but not, you've got to not Google it, you've got to just know if you can recognize it, okay? All right, here we go, Psalm of Moses, here we go. Lord, you have been our dwelling place, you've been our place of safety, uh, throughout all the generations before the mountains were born. Or you brought forth the whole world. Actually, that word that you brought forth the whole world, uh, the Hebrew word means giving birth. It's this, it's this feminine image of God. You know, sometimes we overlook and we don't see uh, the feminine images of God. And what happened was, is that when, when the Hebrew got changed into the, into the Alexandrians, into Greek and so on, they, they sort of changed it because they were afraid of the uh, fertility goddesses of that culture. And so they changed it. And then when we went from there to English, then we kind of lose it. But this is one of the feminine images of God, that God gave birth to the earth okay from everlasting to everlasting you are God you turn people back to dust that sounds familiar saying return to dust you mortals and here's one that we all know 
A thousand years is in your sight is like a day that has just gone by or a watch in the night. You sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities, our sins, our wrongdoing. You set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. This is sounding really encouraging, isn't it? We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80, three score and 10, if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and we fly away. And the, the idea here is we fly away, not like that happy song, oh, fly away, oh, glory. The, the idea is it's, it really is it's, we drift away. We just sort of slide into oblivion. We, we, we slide away, we, we drift away, we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that you are due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord. Turn around. Repent of what would normally come. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy in the morning with your hesed, your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us. For as many years as we have seen trouble, may your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So, did you recognize the hymn? Anyone recognize it? Duff, what was it? Oh God, our help. You got it. That's the one. We sing, we sing this song in that hymn, and then we, you know, we put in that new, oh God, we put in that new bridge that we put in there, that kind of stuff. So that, when we're singing that hymn, we're singing Psalm 90. We're singing this psalm of Moses with these two issues that we face and wrestle with, and the turnaround point and the solution. Okay, so the first problem stands out right away is that, is that our life is brief. As human beings, we are frail. We are weak. Our bodies give up on us. We have a brief life. And the way that, that Moses paints this out for us is he, he draws a contrast between ourselves and the eternal God. That's how the whole thing starts, right? Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all the generations. Now this dwelling place, the idea is that you've been our place of safety. You've been our place of comfort. You've been our place of rest. You've been our place of refuge. When we're attacked, we can run to you. This is all great. You have been there. You have been our dwelling place, our safe place, our go-to place. But that's not Moses' emphasis. I mean, we like to cling on to that, and we should cling on to it. It's a good thing. It's a happy thing. But that's not what Moses is really pushing. What really he's pushing on is this idea that you've been that from generation to generation. 
for everlasting, for all of these times. That's, that's, his, that's his emphasis, that through the generations, all the generations that we can count, you have been there for us, you have been there with us, you have been there to us to run to, you are the ones. And then he says, well, matter of fact, let me give you another picture. Mountains, the whole idea of, of mountain ranges, something solid, something big, something that seems like it's kind of permanent. You, you, before the mountains were around, you were there, you're the one, as a matter of fact, that gave birth to all creation. It's not Mother Earth that we have, it's Mother God that we have that gives birth to the earth. Before this creation happened, it's from you that came. You were before creation, from everlasting to everlasting, for all eternity. That's the God that you are. And he says, you know what we all know, for you, a day is like a thousand years. It's just like a day. You take a thousand years and that's just like a day for you. As a matter of fact, God, you are so eternal, you are so big, you are so permanent, you are from everlasting to everlasting that, that it's not even like a thousand years is like a day. As a matter of fact, a thousand years is like a watch in the night. So in those days they used to break, you know, it's like imagine yourself as a soldier on the watch in the night and they break it up into three or four hours that you stand on God. And he's saying that, you know, for a thousand years, it's just like that. It just kind of goes and it is gone. You are eternal. You are our eternal God. But as for us, we're frail. We've just got this transient life. This life that just is like a, a mist. All too quickly, we return to dust. And if you, if you read carefully, you can see Genesis chapter 3, that time when, you know, we sinned against God, we rebelled against God. And so God says, okay, that's it. You're not going to live forever in the state, eternally separated from me. You're going to die. You're going to be from dust you came and to dust you will return. Because, you know, that's, you are going to be dead. You are not going to be eternal. As a matter of fact, you're like tender grass. That sort of has a bit of a hope in it. And it springs forth in the morning as the morning dew, as the morning dew uh, comes over it. But then as the heat of the sun rises up under the scorching sun, it just burns up. You're going to live about 70 years. Well, if you have the strength, it holds up. You're going to, you're going to do 80, if you're lucky. You know, Andy Stanley put this in an interesting way. I thought it was, it was really good when I was listening to a, a message he gave on this psalm. He said, you know, there's some point in your life, and some of you are already there, some of us are already there, and some of you, are, you're going to get there pretty quick. And it's this, when you're going through life, and, and then suddenly you stop counting your birthdays as to what's gone behind you. I'm 14 now, I'm 16 now, I've been around for 21 years. At some point, it suddenly dawns on you, that, and you start counting what's ahead. Jumping. I only got 20 years left. I better, anything that I want to get done, I better get it done. Because you see, all of a sudden, somewhere in that middle age, where our friends die, or we get sick, or something happens, and we quit looking back at how long we've lived, and we start thinking, man, you know, I've only got this much time left. And anything that I want to get done, any difference that I want to make, I better get at it because pretty soon I'm going to die. Because we all want to make a difference, don't we? That's why our theme for the year, grow up and make a difference. And at some point, you kind of stop looking back and all the preparation, all that stuff, and you think, man, if I'm going to make any kind of a difference, my life is short. It is going to end. I've only got a few years left. I better make a difference now. And as we think about the brevity of our life, sometimes our life begins to feel not just small, but maybe even a bit petty. 
what's it all about? What difference does it make? Why would I do that? But we'll talk more about that. So that, that's the first problem. The first problem is I'm going to die, you're going to die, and it is going to go quick. It is going to go quick. Like tender grass burned up in the middle of a drought. Well, then he goes on, and there's a second problem that we have. That even though that this life is short, that life is troubled. That's like we live a troubled life. And why do we live a troubled life? We live a troubled life because we sin. That's what verse 8 says, right? You set our iniquities, you, you recognize, you see our sin. We set them before you, you look at them, you know them. As a matter of fact, those secret sins, they are as a light in the light of your presence. And so we've got these sins that everybody sees, but the Lord God says, listen, I, I even know the sins that you don't get caught for. I even know the sins of your mind. I know the sins of your attitudes. I know the sins of your heart. All of that junk, some of which people see, some of which people don't see, but you know, God says, I know. I understand. It is set before me. And there is a consequence to our sin. And that's where these difficult verses come into it, isn't it, about God's anger. He says, we, you are brought to an end by the anger as people are brought to death. It's this whole thing back in, in Genesis chapter 3. What Moses is thinking about is not just, you know, the individual stuff. But what he's saying is that this, as humankind, you know, way back there we, we, we sin. We sin in the garden. We broke it. Death entered into the whole thing. And we follow that same pattern. And as a result of rebellion against God, as a result of rebellion against him and his laws, as a result of understanding, it's quite interesting. You know what does in Genesis 3? You notice this? It says this, it says they realized that they were naked and they were ashamed, right? You know why that is? Because what that is, is what that's recognizing is when we're naked, we understand that we're vulnerable. The idea is we understand that we can exploit each other. We understand that if we stand naked and open before them, the people, they are going to hurt me. They are going to damage me. They're going to take advantage of me. Why? Because that's sin. And when we do that, when I take advantage of you, when I exploit you, when I overpower you, whenever I do these things to you, then God gets very angry at that and says, listen, that is called sin, and I'm not going to stand for that. That makes me angry. You can't go around exploiting and, and exposing and, 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 and oppressing all of these people and sinning against them. There's a consequence, and that consequence is called death to dust, humankind. You will return. But the thing about this psalm, too, is that it talks about not only that ultimate consequence of sin, but it recognizes that there's consequences in day-by-day -day life, right? And what does he say? He says, all of our days pass under your wrath. That's pretty ominous. But what Moses is saying is that, listen, there are consequences, daily consequences. Alan, when you sin, there are daily consequences that you live out because of your sin. That's my anger. If you lie and you cheat and you steal and you oppress and all those things, you gossip, then pretty soon you're going to be a very, very lonely person. And we don't always put these two and two together. But what Moses is saying is that these consequences that we live out, we don't have friends, we get fired, we're in poverty, whatever the thing, these con that is the anger of God. Because God says there are consequences to sin. And in our brief momentary life, 
We spend a good portion of it sinning against God, against each other, against creation, against the, the humanity, all of these things. And God says there are results to that. And so then we come to verse 11 and 12, which he says this. If only we knew the power of your anger. In other words, if only I remembered that when I, if I decide to screw somebody over, God is watching that, and there's going to be consequences to that. If I could live my life knowing the power of your anger, that your wrath is great as the fear that is your due. In other words, oh, this is God who's witnessing this. This is God who says not to treat people this way. So do what? Teach us to number our days. To remember that we don't have very long and we're going to face not just the consequences of our actions today, but the ultimate result and consequence of our actions. Teach us to remember our days. You know, the Middle Ages, theologians, a bunch of them, they used to keep a human skull on their desk when they were doing theology. And the reason they did that was to remind them that life is brief. To number our days. To understand that, boy, every day counts, and we better make it count. Teach us to number our days. Why? Well, why do I need to do that? So that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Brueggemann says that this is the center of the psalm. He's wrong, of course, but, but he said that this whole thing here is that, that, that the point of Moses is saying, listen, you, remember who you are. Remember your days. Why? So that you'll seek out the wisdom of God. So that you won't carry on with the things that, that just kind of come to us and that we don't kind of know. If we will just remember our days that it, it is brief, it's a flash, we'll live differently. To realize that something has to be done. To realize that the way I'm living, the brevity of life, and the things that I've done, the things in my heart, all those things, something has got to change. Something has got to be done. Somehow, if I remember that the end is coming and that there's these little foretastes of judgment, then I will somehow remember God and I'll realize that something needs to be done and something needs to be turned around. Something needs to be changed. My life sin index is resulting in my death of relationships, myself, God. So I've got to get things turned around. So what do we do? We've got these major problems. We've got this very brief life. We are frail. The life is brief. It is short. And we spend a bunch of it sinning, hurting people, wounding God. What do we do? Will we offer up a morning prayer that changes everything. Because in the light of who God is and in the light of all those things, we realize that we can't change it ourselves. We we've tried to get things turned around, but man, you know, we, so we offer up a morning prayer that changes everything. It's a prayer, verse 13. Relent, Lord. How long is it going to be? How long before you relent, before you turn around? Have compassion on your service. That word relent, is, it's the word for repent. It means to turn around. It means that, that our actions and our results and our life and all of these things, God's God going in this way and the way in which God is going is that we have the consequences of his wrath. That is death. Eternal death. And the prayer is relent, Lord. Turn around. 
Don't, don't, don't do that. Have compassion upon me. I know I don't deserve it, but have compassion upon me. Now, this is the prayer actually that comes out. The other time that this, this very particular special wording is in Exodus chapter 32. It's the prayer of Moses, Exodus chapter 32. That is when, when Moses goes up to, you know, to get the Ten Commandments. He comes down, and what has Israel done? Israel has made themselves a golden calf. Remember this story? And God says, okay, Moses, stand back. I'm going to wipe these guys out. I'm going to start over. And this is the prayer that Moses offers up there in verse 12. No, God, I know you're on your way to do that, but don't make me stand back. Instead, you turn around. You have compassion on them and you forgive them. Turn around, repent, change your mind, do something different than what our sin in light of your holiness demands. Remember that we are frail and broken and weak. We're just dust. So have compassion on us. Turn around. Because when you turn around, God, then my life can be turned around. My destiny is turned around. My present and my future is turned around. My very being is turned around. You know, it's kind of interesting. In verse 1 and verse 17, you'll read it there, it, it, you'll see Lord, right? That's, that's the general word for God. The God, but that can be a little distant. It can be a little big, a little intimidating. But what, what he does when he gets down here into this verse, into verse 13, he uses Yahweh, God's personal name, God's covenantal name, God's compassionate name. So, okay, God, you are eternal. You're up there, and we deserve to be separate from you. We deserve death and all of those kind of things. We understand that because you're the holy God. But you are also Yahweh, the God of personhood, the God who is personal, the God who is compassionate, the God who is merciful, the God who wants to enter into covenant with us. So, God, turn around, Yahweh. Don't give me what I deserve. Instead... Satisfy me with your hesed. That's verse 14. Satisfy me with your hesed. Satisfy as in the morning with your hesed, your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Satisfy. It means to give whatever's necessary. Most often in the Bible, you read it when, when somebody's really, really hungry, and then they get a really good meal. That is to satisfy. So what he's praying is that, God, in your hesed, give us your hesed, because that's what we need. We need your covenantal love. We need your mercy. We need your loving kindness. We need your everlasting faithfulness. We need that, because we are frail, and we sin, and we are in trouble, and we understand who you are. And so turn around, God, and instead of getting us what we deserve, give us your hesed. Give us your mercy, because you love us. Because your hesed is mercy and we are too small and we are too weak to do it. So forgive us so that we can escape death and instead have a life of songs of joy and mercy. And God in his hesed, in his kindness, 
in his mercy. These are all words that Hesed means. In that, he does that. First, he does it for Israel, of course, through the whole sacrificial system. Rolling ahead the sins for another year, another year, another year, another year, another year, another year on the Day of Atonement, the big sacrifices. Until the year came when the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus became sin so that we could become the children of God. Jesus, of course, is the ultimate expression of God's hesed. Because Jesus takes all of that wrath, all of that anger that the Psalms talk about, all of that consequence of our sin, he takes all of that upon himself. God who is angry turns his anger against himself because he knows that we are weak and he has compassion upon us. He understands that we're made of just dust. He understands that we can't get it turned around ourselves. And so he takes all of that anger, all of that justice upon himself and dies for us as an act of covenantal hesed, of kindness, of mercy, of love. You see, God's hesed is the answer to our frailty and to our sin. One scholar is reading says that the truth is that Psalm 90 verse 14 is one of the great summarizing verses of the Bible. If you want to put the whole story into, into sort of one thing, he says, verse, verse 14, that's it. That's it. Verse 14 kind of sums it all up. Satisfy us. Give us what we need in the morning because of your, with your hesed. Why? So that we can have joy and gladness instead of guilt and shame and death. It's God's hesed, the very core of his character. Old Testament, New Testament, it is the center of who God is. God reverses, he turns around what will come naturally. And when God turns around from his wrath, everything gets turned around. We get life instead of death. We get forgiveness and compassion instead of wrath. This is a great prayer for us to stand up in the morning or maybe before our feet hit the floor and say, oh Lord, our God, you who are my shelter from everlasting to everlasting, satisfy me today with your hesed. Give me today your hesed because I know I'm going to blow it. And so today, give me your mercy. Give me your kindness. Show compassion to me. Give me life. And then I'll have a day that is full of joy and rejoicing. Because you show me hesed today. And out of this prayer of hesed, two other prayers come. The first one is he says, you know, I'm going I'm to give you a life that's worth knowing. It's this whole thing about then we'll have the wisdom of God. Give us wisdom. Help us to see it. You see, you see if, if it wasn't for God's hesed, man, it would be a terrible thing. Who would want to know a God that is just wrath and anger and consequence and death? It's terrifying. I remember a few years ago, a guy saying, you know, with the Bible, he, he you know, was deciding whether or not to follow Jesus. He says, I, I'm terrified to read the Bible. At the same time, I'm terrified not to. Because I know that, you see, I'm, I'm terrified because I understand that there's consequences to sin and I know the person that I am. 
But you see, it's God's hesed, it's knowing God's hesed that he allows us to come to say, God, help us to know you. Because even though there are these passages of Scripture right here in the psalm of your wrath and your anger and all of these things of death and punishments, the central core is your mercy, is your compassion, is your hesed, is your loving kindness. Because of his hesed, we want to know God and to overcome the fear that we have. And the second thing, the second prayer that comes out, and this is the one that really counts for him, because he prays it twice. He says, and in your hesed, make my life count. Make my life count. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This word, establish, it simply means make it secure. Make it enduring. Make it something that doesn't just pass in the night. Make the work of our hands, make our life, make that which we do, make it count because I want to make a difference. I'm only going to be here for just a spark and it can be feel that way, right? I mean, if, man, if you're only here to, for just a spark, if you're here for just a sort of an insignificant uh, flash of time, what possible difference can I make? And it's kind, of, it's kind of discouraging for Moses. And so he comes to God and he says, listen, God, you know, because of your hesed, make my life count. Establish my work in my hands. Make it count for something. Make it last longer than the 80 years that I'm kicking around. It's God's hesed that does. And you know how he does it? By building your life into his life. By building our work for him into his work. That's why Paul, you know, he comes to the end of of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's a verse I keep going back to because whenever sometimes you get discouraged and you wonder why in the world am I bothering doing this? Why am I seating the Sunday school class? Why am I leading this youth group? Why am I trying to reach out to my neighbor? Why am I doing hospitality? Why are those things? Man, it was kind of a waste. I could have been doing something else. could have been watching Netflix. Paul says, listen, stand firm. Never tire of doing good because your work for the Lord is not in vain. He establishes it. He sometimes takes this little, this little pebble of my work, the work in my hands, and he sometimes builds it into this great castle called the kingdom of God. And Moses said, it's because of your hesed. I'm only here for a short time. But I want it to count. And God says, in my hesed, in my compassion, in my mercy, in my delight for you, I'm going to make it count. I'm going to build it into my kingdom wall. I'm going to build it into my castle. Hesed. You know, this is quite a psalm. It goes through quite a little transition here. It starts off by talking about and thinking about the majesty of God. That's, That's kind of step one. God is everlasting. God is great. God goes forever. God gives birth to all of creation, all of those things. And it goes through all of that. And then it, it sort of contrasts us with this holy, righteous, eternal God. And we kind of feel small. And we kind of feel guilty. And we kind of feel afraid. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the psalm, he says, Ah, that would be true except for my hesed. And then we have in verses 13 and 14 the turnaround. God's hesed invades our reality and the reality of creation. And it leads to hope. It leads to the great hope that God will have turned away from his anger and instead shows me compassion. And instead of death, 
I have life. Instead of shame, I have freedom. And not only that, but I also have hope that the life that I live, as brief as it may seem, can make an eternal difference. An eternal difference in the kingdom of God. God's majesty, seen through the lens of Hesed, is the message of hope. And so we wake up in the morning and we pray this prayer. Lord, give me what I need today, this morning, with your Hesed, so that I may have the hope of forgiveness and making a difference and will sing for joy and be glad all of my days. Because a turned around God makes for a turned around life. Almighty God, Moses saw a lot, did a lot, experienced a lot, was intimate with you. And, and this sort of summation that the collectors who put together the Psalms a Sora is a song that, that kind of puts together your life. And some people say even, even summarizes the whole story. We're thankful for it. We're thankful that you are the eternal God who is our shelter from everlasting to everlasting. And that the God who created the mountains and gave birth to all of creation cares for us. Because of your hesed, and so we're thankful that in your mercy, we don't have to experience your wrath in its fullness. But instead, Jesus took that upon himself. So that we could have a turned around life. A life of joy and thanksgiving. Because of your hesed for which we give thanks through Jesus, the ultimate expression of your hesed. Amen.